Mr. Lynch, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're going to get straight into it. How did you come to your faith in Christ? The short answer is Billy Graham. So the longer answer is I was raised Catholic. Um, <clears throat> when I went off to college, didn't really have much to do with religion. Um, got married, and we can go into details about that, but I got married. And uh, in 1989, Billy Graham came to uh, Syracuse, New York, which is where we were living. And in the months preceding that, I was watching TV and I saw him on TV. And I told my wife, who was a Christian, uh, and praying for me, I said, um, I need to go see him. And she's like, okay, all right, we'll do it. So we went to the Carrier Dome in Syracuse and um, listened to Billy Graham. And it was like somebody grabbed me by the back of the neck. And when he said, come on down, and I went down, and um, that's where I accepted Christ. So you were raised Catholic. I was raised Catholic. How old were you when you went to that Billy Graham event? So I would have been uh, 32. What is the biggest difference that you, I mean, because a lot of times people will, will ask, what's the difference, right? You were raised Catholic, which could be considered Christian, but then you went to a Billy Graham event, and then I'm guessing there was an altar call, and he asked you to, to there was. Uh, yep. give your life to Christ. You had to march down in front of uh, probably 50,000 people. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So then looking back and you growing up in the Catholic faith, what do you think was the big difference and what kind of shifted at that time? Well, it, it was never personal for me. It was something you did. I went to uh, Sunday school. I went to catechism class. I had First communion, confirmation. Uh, and um, it just, it, there's really no emphasis on a personal relationship with Christ, at least the way I was raised. Uh, I know some some Catholics are very um, have, have a very personal relationship with Christ, um, but it wasn't until I went through uh, college, and I, I certainly didn't live like a Christian in college. It wasn't terrible, but you know I just partied and um, really didn't think about Jesus at all. Mm. Certainly not not the church. Um, but then for me, the biggest change was. Uh, I could feel a difference in my life. I could just feel the change that happened. Um, my wife and I made a decision. Uh, we gave up alcohol, um, personal decision, but we yeah. gave it up at the time. And um, we had no children. Uh, we got married in 1985. And uh, from that point on, we were very involved in our church. I was baptized in my uh, church, uh, Alliance Church, back in New York. And uh, it, it just, my life changed. I could mm. just feel the difference and. And uh, it's 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 hard to say all the things that changed, but uh, it was there's a definite difference in my life. Hmm. So then, you know, growing up as a Catholic, you're saying that uh, that whole time you really didn't have any sort of like moment where things started to change. Or I think that's so, this is so common, right? Right. They call them cradle Christians. Or cradle Catholics, which right. basically means that you were kind of born into it. And it's just the way things are. Mm -hmm. And I think there's such um, an importance of when you are, when your mind is ready for it, that you actually make that decision on your own um, without your parents. 
Right. And I think for me, it was, I, I could feel the calling. I mean, I, I started, it started months before the actual event. And I just felt like I need to be watching this on TV. Mm. And then I, I felt like I needed to go there. And that's not just me. That's, that's the Holy Spirit calling yeah. you. So how'd you hear about the event? Um, I don't remember if my, my wife, uh, at the time was involved with the youth group and maybe they were going, but I, I remember watching him on TV and watching his, uh, his crusades on TV, uh, in our, in our house in New York. Cause your wife had it on. Uh, I don't remember if she had it on or I had it on, but <laughs> it was just like, I just have to watch this. Mm. So, so when, to, how long were you guys dating before that happened? So, okay. So the, the long story about that is, uh, we met in high school. Uh, I was a senior. She was a soft, uh, sophomore, I guess. Uh, I was 18. She was 16. Mm-hmm. She, we went to my senior prom. That was our first date. And as she said, it took me probably uh, four months to get up the courage to ask her to the senior prom. Mm. Uh, and then we moved from Western New York. We went to high school in, in, in Orchard Park, home with Buffalo Bills. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and I am still a fan. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, they won last night. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, so we, we dated and then moved to... Uh, Syracuse, and uh, I was I was going to Syracuse University at the time, and uh, so we dated for another year, and then as she said, um, I was stupid and and decided to not be dating her anymore. <laughs> it's my time in between Marty, and um, uh, so then we went through college separately. She went to Geneseo, I went to Syracuse, then down to Cornell, and then um, after college. Uh, I was making a trip to see my college roommates in Denver and California and swung through Texas where she was. It's, it's a long story, but I went through Texas and um, kind of reignited our romance. And she moved back to New York. And then in 1985, we were married. Mm. So married in 85, and it was 89 when I was saved. So hold on a minute. So you went to Texas, you guys... Um, in 82, probably, yeah. Rekindled the relationship, right. and then you got saved in what year? 89. So that's seven, wait, you said 1980, Texas, was sorry, 1980, 82. 82, seven years. Right. Yeah. So she was with you for seven years, probably praying, I mean, because you were a Catholic. We got and- married in 85, <laughs> and she was raised uh, Episcopalian, mm. so we were married in the Episcopalian church. Okay, yeah, so. wow. And her faith grew all that time, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's funny, because I've heard so many men tell me I was saved because my wife... Mm-hmm. Made me, <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm guilty as yeah. charged. I mean, it's like they just help you grow, grow up and really think about things that are are important in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's always uh, it's always fun to hear that. All right, so did you attend Cornell? I did. So you said you went to Syracuse. I did. So when we moved, uh, well, so at high school, I wanted to go to Cornell. I wanted to be a veterinarian. Oh, okay. And uh, but I didn't get in. They didn't take me. So uh, they said, if you can maintain a B average and you apply as a transfer student, uh, then we'll probably accept you. So I went to Syracuse and I studied there for two years. I, the first year I, was a, I commuted. Second year I lived on campus. I was in a fraternity. And uh, it was tough. It was tough uh, to leave Syracuse because I was involved with the fraternity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I wanted to go to Cornell. I wanted to be a veterinarian. So uh, then I transferred and I actually transferred in the food science program, but then I changed to animal science and agro- agronomy. Um, so, yeah, I spent the last two years at, at Cornell, uh, lived on campus in a dorm. So I was a, 
a junior living in a dorm <laughs> my first year. <laughs> That's fun. I met, uh, met a roommate of mine who, uh, can, if I can share the story a little bit sure. later, um, became a really good friend of mine. And then uh, senior year, I lived off campus. So, but Why, then, yeah. so then I, I didn't, uh, I could tell with my grades, I was a B student probably, that I wasn't going to get into vet school. They took 50 or 60 people. And I better have a backup plan. So I, I, uh, I also added um, agriculture economics to my studies. And so after college, I, I didn't even apply to vet college. I decided I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be and go into business. So I took a job with a feed company. Mm. Um, after, uh, let's see, after about a month, uh, my dad bought a small business. He had been working for a big corporation, went through a bunch of changes, left there, was, was a consultant for a year, and then bought a business. I said, I can always go work for a big company. I'm going to work for my dad. So my dad and I worked in a small engine and auto parts and um, outdoor power equipment company for 18 years together. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's huge. I did not know that. So first off, first question, why Cornell? Well, for... for if you're in New York, you went to Cornell if you want to be in the veterinary college. That's where the veterinary college was. Okay. okay. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the cream of the crop for vet school. It's the only vet college in, in New York. And oh, so if you want to get into Cornell Vet College, if you go to Cornell, it give you a little bit of a, an edge. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And they had the right curriculum for a pre-vet. Mm-hmm. So. But then you said, you know what, I don't want to... After that. working on uh, farms in the summer, uh, I worked on dairy farms in the summer. I worked on beef cattle ranch, uh, f- the research facility in the wintertime at school. And then I worked with veterinarians. I said, you know what? Uh, I'm not sure I want this. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty messy, probably. <laughs> well, it's, yeah. My, yeah I worked, when I worked on the farm, I worked uh, 84 hours a week. That oh, was in the summertime. Goodness. That was my yeah. standard week. I got every other weekend off. My boss was there when I got there in the morning. He was there when I left at night, and he didn't get every other weekend off. Mm. So why would I want to be a farmer? And I worked with the veterinarians. They were working almost as many hours, the big, large animal vets. Mm. And uh, so I, I just decided that probably wasn't the career for me. So, so almost 20 years you worked with your father. How, did, how was that experience? Um, it, was, it was interesting, for sure. Uh, my dad had a lot of experience in, big, in a big industry, big company. He was a Marine. He was in the Second World War, Guadalcanal. So oh, he wow. was, uh, you know, a tough old Marine. Mm. And... Um, uh, so working with him was, was interesting. Uh, I learned a lot. Uh, we had our times mm-hmm. and we didn't always mm-hmm. see eye to eye. Uh, so that was in 79. I started working with him. That's when he bought the business. And then in, uh, 1994, he passed away. Um, didn't come to work one day and, and, uh, <clears throat> my mom and sister were out of town. I went to the house and he had passed away during the evening. Um, but we had a good relationship at that time, so I don't really have any a lot of regrets there. But then I had, at the same time, and so we talked about photography, and so you're probably into Photoshop and layers. So yeah. life yeah. is like, to me, is like layers. You know, you just keep adding a layer, and sure. that, that changes what your perspective is. So my, my dad passed away, but we had gotten notice that um, we were a distributor, that, that uh, our small engine companies were going to change their model. And they they were going to eliminate 700 distributors across the country, and we were one of them. So, so I, I remember coming back to after the funeral and getting a letter from the bank, and they said, uh, "We're sorry about your dad 
passing, we need to talk to you about uh, finances. And I had the letter from the the uh, our major supplier, Briggs & Stratton, saying they were going to be canceling us. And so then I had a choice to make. What do I want to do the rest of my life? And um, we really didn't have a whole lot of business at that point. It was, it was going to be tapering off. So I made a plan to to transition, and I wrote everything out I had to do, and then by 1997, I had a new job. Uh, but but working with my dad until 1994 was was a great experience. I would have been better if I'd had the large company experience first, and not had you know not getting the only education on your own dime. Mm. So I've always encouraged my son and anybody else to go out and work for somebody else first, then come back to the family business. And Why most, is that? Well, most of the successful businesses that I got to, to work with when I had my second career with Blunt was um, a lot of more second or third generations. And you could see the, the companies where the kids had gone out and gotten education and gotten uh, experience working for somebody else and then came back. They were very successful. Other companies were, you know, dad hung around and the son or daughter didn't really get a chance to run the business. Uh, the dad might have been 60 or 70 years old, and the, and the kids really hadn't taken over any responsibility. Mm. And you could just see that, the difference. So where they went out and they came back and they had a plan to transition the business, they worked very successfully. Mm. So Maybe what, what about when the, when the child goes out and uh, gets experience in the mm-hmm. quote-unquote real world, mm-hmm. and they come back and now they... See how the real, actually, real world is. Right, right, and it's, yeah. it's not. It's a little different when dad's not your boss and exactly. you can get away with some things. Right, right? yeah, <laughs> and that's what I, that's what I found too. I think it would have been better if I would have gone out and worked for somebody else and then come back. Yeah, but yeah, I, I mean that's eighteen years. That is very respectable because mm. uh, I worked with my father for a long time, and it's just it's difficult, mm-hmm. you know, because on both sides you just get a little too personal, right? Right. Too, too comfortable because it's your father or your son. Right. And it's hard to have that line there. And my mom worked in the business. Wow. And yeah. my, my uh, wife worked there for a while. And my sister would come in. She was a teacher. She'd come in the summer and do some uh, some flyers and things for us. Mm. So so uh, then you went to, uh, is it Blunt International? Right. So after I sold everything off, uh, the, there was I had a repair shop. I had bought next door and sold that off and the building and then the the business that we're in, the products and the the product lines. Um, yeah, so this is kind of a neat story because <clears throat> uh didn't really know what I was going to do. I looked at going back to get my MBA and um, so, it, and it, it wasn't a, a smooth financial transition. You know, we didn't know if we were going to be able to sell it and come out of hole or we're going to have to filed bankruptcy. We talked to a bankruptcy attorney because there really wasn't much there. And we decided, no, we were going to do it right. And we were going to, if we had to live over the store in the apartment, then we would do that and pay off everything, my wife and I. Uh, We didn't have to, but that's, you know, we were ready to do that. Uh, So in 1997, in the fall, uh, my supplier salesman came in and he said, uh, uh, I told him I was going to be selling the business. I'd sold most of it and uh, going to be leaving. He said, what are you going to do? And I said, Randy, I don't know. I might go back get my MBA. I might go work for another company. I don't know. He goes, well, I just got offered a position in Europe. He said, my position is going to be open. And so it was a regional manager, about 26 states in the Northeast, 
working for one of our, our um, suppliers, which was Frederick Manufacturing, part of Blunt. And he said, why don't you apply for my job? You'd be perfect for it. So I'm like, okay. So I did. I sent my resume in. Uh, the, the guy who was going to be my boss called me, and we talked on the phone. He said, come on out to Kansas City. I want to talk to you. So I came out to Kansas City. Um, we had dinner. We had breakfast with the president the next morning. Uh, they showed me around and then um, sat down about lunchtime, and he said, uh, he said so, uh, Jerry, do you, do you want Bill or do you want to talk to the other guy? And Jerry, Jerry said, no, no, I want Bill. And, and so Pat, was the guy's name, looked at me and he said, you want the job? I, and I said, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> what an interview process. So in half a day, I had a job with, you know, a, at the time, it was probably a $700 million a year company. Oh, my god. They goodness. just don't do things like that anymore, and I think it was just a God thing. Oh, yes. God's providential uh, providence is just amazing, especially, yep. obviously, we see it after it's done, mm-hmm. right? But looking back, I, right. I can imagine you probably see, you've seen so many yep. of those, um, those so, situations. So it was, it was an interesting day because, uh, you know, the, the I would get – Saturdays off, which I I worked Saturdays for eighteen years. Mm. I got uh, two weeks vacation. I got a car allowance. I mean, I came out way better than I was doing before. I told my wife I was so excited. I hung up the phone. I got a call. She said, "Well, you got a call today," and it was my college roommate, um, who was in my wedding and a good friend of mine, and uh, he, he had been diagnosed with cancer. He passed away that day, and uh, so. <laughs> just reminded me of, um, you know, we're not promised tomorrow. Right. And I had had a chance to witness to him, and I did, but I didn't send him the book I wanted to send him. I had been down to see him in Boston where he was in the hospital, and, um, you know, you just miss those opportunities to witness to people. Mm-hmm. And you always look back at it and you say, did I do enough? Did I do my part? You know. But So it was a bittersweet day for me. Um, but, yeah, we, so I started my new career with Blunt. In uh, 1997, and uh, actually two weeks later, I had to go do a presentation for a customer. I never, never had any training with the company. I got there. My the guy who was I was replacing said, "I can't get there from the weather. You have to do this yourself." I said, "Well, Randy, what do I want me to do?" <laughs> so I, that's how I started off with the company was. Uh, just winging it, <laughs> but but I had been the, selling their products for eighteen years, so yeah. I, I knew the products, and I could. Uh, it was a new customer, I could explain what we had. So it worked out. Thanks for sharing that story about your friend. I mean, that is such a powerful thing to think about. I mean, we all are presented as believers uh, opportunities to share the truth mm-hmm. and uh, the gospel, and I, I really, I think about this a lot. With you know, I think sometimes we get wrapped up in our presentation style and. Did I say it right? Did I? I mean, when the time is there and you feel that tug, is you just have to just you have speak. To say it. Yep. I mean, you, you might stumble over it, you might, you know, screw it up a little bit, but mm-hmm. if you really just just speak, right? The Holy Spirit, I think, will take over mm-hmm. as as it, um, it always does. So, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, today, you are now a franchisee of Environmaster, so I have right. to kind of lay this out. You wanted to be a veterinarian. Right. Then you went into business, worked for your father for 18 years, and 
uh, went from being a business owner to an employee. How long were you an employee then after that? 18 years. So it was 18, 18. Yeah. Excellent. Right. Then you said, you know what? I'm ready to do this business owner thing. Well, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> so after my career with Blunt, um, at, at the time I was uh, uh, traveling internationally. I got a chance to travel a lot, which was which was fun for a while. And then it got pretty old. Yeah. Um, but I had an opportunity. I was recruited for a small manufacturing company in the Midwest. And, uh, you know, bigger role, smaller pond, you know, it's a, the... Uh, the story. Mm-hmm. So, and it sounded attractive. Blunt was going through a bunch of changes and I thought, you know, this is a, an opportunity for me. I'm going to take it. So I did. And I worked there for two and a half or three and a half years. So where my business partner, Lanny, um, and he and I had a lot of talks. We decided we wanted to do something together. We bought a piece of real estate in Wichita. My son was going to college there. He and his buddies lived there. So we were real estate investors in a $99,000 house. <laughs> um, but it, it proved to us that we could get along okay. and, um, uh, and be business partners. So then we started looking for a business. This was after, so 2016, I left Blunt. In 2019, we started looking for a business. Okay. Well, 2018, 2019, we decided, uh, we found EnviroMaster. And um, didn't know anything about it, but we looked into it and liked a bunch of things about it. The, uh, the recurring business, the recurring revenue model, mm-hmm. uh, kind of a niche business, uh, strong, f- uh, franchise support. And there was a, an existing franchise in the city that was for sale. Small, but, but existing. So we didn't have to start from scratch. Um, so we decided to buy that and, uh, and become business owners. So you started out just investing in like a rental property? Is that what you said? Well, yeah, we started out, and that was probably in 2017 or 2018, we bought a small rental property. And my son lived there for two years with his friends. Okay. And they paid rent on it, and and we sold it. But the intention before that was, can we get along with each other? Get along with each other, and do we want to do real estate? Do we want to flip houses? Do we want to get involved with, you know, buying apartment buildings or whatever? And I'm guessing the answer to that question was no? It just really didn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. He was down in... Hutchinson and I was in Kansas City, so it didn't work out. So yeah. when we bought the business, he had to move up to Kansas City. Mm. Yeah, I think the whole rental property is a little different once you get into it than it, what people kind of it is. paint it's a, the dream as. Right, right. Yeah. Flip a house, make all this money, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, set it and forget it for renting. No, right. there's a lot of other things that go along with That's that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Getting a call at one a.m. because their toilet's clogged or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, uh, what about, so you said with the franchise, EnviroMaster, right. you like the support. Did you look into like the systems and processes that they have? We looked into uh, several different uh, franchises. I did a couple of uh, investigative, uh, they call them um, uh, career days or whatever. I forget yeah. what they call them exactly. But you, you go and you, you visit Discovery. Discovery, Discovery days. days. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, and uh, so I did a couple of those. I did a security company and... We looked at a couple other companies and really decided this is what we wanted to do. We talked to them, and then we took our wives down to Charlotte and visited with them for the day, for Discovery Day, the four of us. Mm. And they, they asked that your wives came with you, which I think is really important. Other companies didn't. Um, so a couple things, because uh, I, I know you're going to ask the question. Um, it's important that not only the, the 
two guys or two girls or whatever partners get along, but their spouses get along too. Mm. And because you're, you really are joined at the hip in a small business. So we know their kids. They know our kids. Our, my sons work for us. His daughters work for us. Um, we go out to dinner with them. It's it's not a perfect relationship, but it's a good relationship. Hmm. We respect each other, and um, so that's really important. And I think the franchise was based on uh, originally uh, Pat Swisher's, the one who started it, uh, and it had a lot of Christian values to it. I don't, but they wouldn't say they're a Christian company, but a lot of Christian values in the company. And so that attracted us to just the way it was presented and the, all the people we met, uh, you know, you could tell they were on your side. Mm. So what does, uh, what does EnviroMaster provide? What services does that provide? So we kill yeah. the germs that kill your business. Mm. That's a good <laughs> tagline. I like it. Um, we, we specialize in cleaning, uh, cleaning restrooms, kitchen floors, dining room floors. Uh, we, we wash up outdoor, outdoor patios. Uh, we we can do some windows. We don't really do much in the way of windows. So really, the core of our business is two things: we scrub restrooms, and we weekly we do weekly service. We come in and we do a deep clean. We provide air fresheners, hand soap, paper products. We we maintain your restroom for you, so you're not doing that heavy lifting yourself. Still need to come in at the end of the day, pick up the papers, you know, flush the toilets if they need to be, you know, all that kind of stuff. But you don't have to do the heavy cleaning. That's what we do. Mm. So it just takes that off the staff, generally for restaurants. But we do um, uh, all kinds of places, gyms, uh, small corporations. Um, we do a place out at the stadium. Uh, we do all kinds of businesses. So mm. so I'm guessing you do a lot of kitchens. We do clean a lot of kitchens. Oh, my. I can't even imagine what that looks like with and all the grease and... Yeah. You know, getting in a lot of the businesses, there's businesses that you really want to go, you know, back and eat at, and there's places you really don't. <laughs> <laughs> you need to start an Instagram where you're just taking photos of the most disgusting kitchens you've come across. Right. But keep it anonymous, but I right. think you would actually have a great following on that. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, I think it is pretty true that the restroom follows the rest of the business. If oh, my goodness. If they want to keep a clean restroom, then they're, the rest of the business has... They pay attention to it as well. Yes, and I'm gonna I'm gonna save that question for the next part of this episode. Okay. But uh, so you went from again, you want to be a vet business, and now basically you cleaning toilets, right? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think um, it's a fascinating story of that you are willing to get in to whatever that you're called to do. Mm-hmm. Right, because I think a lot of times we're stuck, or we just maybe have this uh, image, or our mind is set on. I'm only going to do this. I'm only going to do this, but we kind of have to be ready to do whatever we're called to do. There's been a, a lot of careers changes, and I look back and, and I realize how many different careers I've had, how much time I've spent working. It's it's amazing. You look ahead and you think my career is going to be a one or two jobs and I'll be done, but mm-hmm. it doesn't work out that way. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what is, uh, what's going to happen tomorrow. We just have to deal with today. Right. So then uh, my last question with that franchise is, I mean, you could have easily looked at it, did Discovery Day, say, oh, yeah, it looks like they're, they got a good business model here. Why not create it yourself? I mean, basically just going in and cleaning facilities, right? Right, right. 
Well, and you know the answer to that. It's it's the systems. Mm-hmm. And if you if you buy a franchise, you're buying the systems. You're buying a proven system that works. Um, you're buying a brand name. Uh, you're buying the the support and the resources that you don't have uh, to create. I mean, everything that you you do, you've got to create as a as an independent business owner, right? It, mm-hmm. You've got to think about everything. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that we don't have to think about. We just we just have. We have a, a, a root planning software. It's all taken care of for us. We just have to use it. Purchasing is all done for us. We go on the website. We just reorder the supplies we need. Mm. Um, they've negotiated all the pricing. They've got uh, delivery companies. It's all set up for us. Uh, marketing's all done for us. Our website's all done for us. All, all the marketing? All the marketing. Wow. All the... Um, local marketing that is done for you? Well, we, we don't have a lot of local marketing. Um, it's more... Um, Google reviews, Google advertising, sure. that kind of thing. So yeah. there's not not a lot of like billboards or yeah. or newspapers or radios. But or Google's going to be like, do, do they do your uh, PPC, so mm-hmm. your, your Google ads? Right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, they maintain a website for us. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, all that is is what you're paying for. Yeah. Um, plus, you know, if, if I have a question, I call the guy in St. Louis. I call the lady up in Omaha. Or I call the guy down in Tulsa. And say, hey, what are you doing about this? You have that collaboration with other right. franchisees. There's 90 some other franchisees. Some of them have been in business for 15 years. Mm. Uh, hey, what do you do with this? You know, so. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely see the value. When I, you know, years ago, I, I always wonder, why would you not just do it yourself? Mm-hmm. I mean, you see how that business is being operated and the branding and what they're offering. But why don't you just do it yourself and save right. on the franchise fee or the royalty, basically? Right. And then you get to keep it all the money. But then I grew up in business <laughs> and realized all of those extra things. I, it sounds like you're getting the better end of the deal here with all of the systems and all that stuff that comes along with it where you just focus on uh, just running the business. Right. Yeah. Right. That's the idea of it is that we don't have a back office. Sure. My wife comes in you know, a couple of days a week, does invoicing, posting, miscellaneous stuff. Other than that, it's just Lanny and I and then, and then our, our team members. Beautiful. Let's take a quick pause and we will uh, get back on part two. Sounds good. 